This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville, Tennessee. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, coming to live from Provo. And we have uh, Corey kind of doing double duty today. Corey House. Hi there, everybody. Coming at you from icy Kansas City. Nice. Yeah, it snowed here. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Yeah, here near Salt Lake City. So uh, anyway, we scheduled this episode. It's kind of timely, actually. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes down. But uh, Corey asked if we could do an episode on React, the big picture. And he has a course on Pluralsight, which I watched. And that cleared up some, some things that I'd been wondering about with React. So yeah, let's, let's go ahead and dive in really quickly. Corey, do you want to kind of introduce the topic as far as what React, the big picture, encompasses and what it doesn't? Yeah, as far as our conversation for today, I'd say that there are three core things that we can talk about, which is uh, one, which is uh, why React, two, which is perhaps more interesting, is why not React, and then right in the middle, which is uh, also an interesting conversation, is the trade-offs that one has to expect when they choose React, uh, or that they have to accept, I should say, because there are, with any technology, some, some good and some bad that you take along with it. Wait, What? That's not, that's crazy talk. Trade-offs, we don't do that as developers. Yeah, no, there's the right way, and then there's everybody else's way. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a fun show. Yep, yep, so Angular, and then everybody else. Is that what I heard, Joe? (laughs) (laughs) No, you did not hear that from me. (laughs) No, you did not hear that from me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, and I think the framework war has kind of, I don't know. I mean, I still hear people arguing about which which framework to use, but for it's the most backbone. part, I think I, I think spoiler people, alert. What? <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert! It's backbone. It's backbone. Yeah. Generally, though, most people have you know accepted that you know what I like using whatever framework I use, and I understand why you like using whatever framework you use. And the other thing that's nice is that one framework will invent something and then another framework will say, hey, that's a great idea and they'll incorporate the parts of it that they like. So so do you really feel like most people feel that way? Um, that's hard to say just outright. I think most of the people I talk to do, but my sampling is probably skewed a little bit. So Joe, I, I would say a lot of people enjoy what they do, but don't necessarily know what they're missing. Uh, and, and I think that's not necessarily a bad place to be. <laughs> I mean, I will say uh, I've deliberately avoided looking into some functional languages that I've heard people wax poetic about and that sound like a ton of fun just because I know if I went too deep, I might find myself unhappy 
in my current tech stack. <laughs> That's like how I view like my diet. That's why I don't eat sugar and stuff because I'm like, I can't open Pandora's box. <laughs> All right. Well, diet oh, aside, is that, a, is that a healthy way to look at sugar. things? Gotcha. <laughs> well, so, so Joe, I mean, Chuck, you bring up a great point. I mean, the whole, uh, the, the whole issue of keeping yourself naive just for the sake of contentment, uh, that's, that's probably a very slippery slope, not something I'm recommending, but I am being transparent that I have done it before. Like for instance, I spent very little time looking at, uh, F sharp or OCaml or Erlang or all, all of these interesting functional languages because, uh, I've looked just enough to go, Ooh, yeah, I could see how I'd really enjoy this, but there, there's no sense of me becoming an expert since I'm I'm pretty happy in my current state. So now given there's so much that you could learn by going into those two. Uh, so I, I totally suggest for people to do so uh, unless there's someone like me that knows once you see something that's technically clearly superior and you know it well enough that you can really use it, then you find yourself very discontent uh, in that current area. So interesting. We're, is, we're off on a bit of a tangent here, but it's an interesting conversation. This is a React episode. So, uh, you know, functional like you mean Reason ML, for example? Sure. Yeah. And I've looked enough at reason that I, I like what I see there too. Uh, but, but I'm not going deeper again, because I know that if I really fall in love with reason, it's going to be very hard for me to sell mm. employers on using reason until it reaches a certain critical mass. So we have a chicken and an egg problem so is it here. about practicality. Oh, absolutely. Or is oh, yeah. it about happiness, right? Well, we should also, I feel like make the distinction between like work and pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started getting really into Elm for a little while because it just looked awesome. And uh, it's not a place where it's easy to find a job and get paid to do it, you know, to, to work. But yeah, uh, so it looks pretty cool. Is the problem maybe more that it's like, I love chocolate pie. I'm going to eat chocolate pie every day for the rest of my life. And then this, all of a sudden you discover strawberry pie actually isn't terrible either. And you're like, no, now I need strawberry pie. And at the end of the day, they're all 16,000 calories. Really doesn't matter which one you pick. Yeah, AJ, you're really speaking to me, but we are a little bit time constrained and we've already gone off on a tangent. <laughs> so I'm going to push yeah, us back to the topic at hand. And, Dude, this and is such a great conversation, though. So is. we need to schedule this conversation. Let's uh, table this I have conversation. No more talking about what we're talking about. Let's talk about it when Corey hangs up so that he can't defend React anymore. I'm there just we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll defend it. This is the girl oh, who the I, yeah, I will say, it. though, that having spoken with people who do a lot of different uh, frameworks or who know they have another project coming up, a lot of people are looking at, you know what, I do Angular or Vue or, you know, Backbone or whatever. Um, and, you know, for my next project, I may use something like React in order to just stay current and be able to contribute in meaningful ways and... You know, it's it's both for career reasons and for maybe the tool is a little bit better or better fitted for what I'm doing. So if somebody is looking at React as a possible option, either for career moves or for, um, you know, just a, a different tech stack to do the next project in because Backbone isn't cutting it anymore or you think you might be more productive with React, how do you start to evaluate that? Because that's what I got out of your course. That was the point that at least I gleaned from your course on Pluralsight. Yeah, that was my goal, was uh, trying as best I could to be fair about it and to recognize the, I think the trade-offs are the most interesting conversation to have here. Uh, and, and there's very clearly some 
trade-offs with React's model. When you think about what makes React special, people talk about how React really embraces JavaScript. Well, even that, which is one of the things that I consider a huge feature, like the fact that when I use React, the API is pretty small because it assumes uh, expertise in modern JavaScript. Well, there's an obvious downside there because I work with uh, developers that have uh, mostly ES5 experience that are comfortable with uh, jQuery or that have been working in Angular a lot, and they feel like the learning curve is fairly steep because they haven't had to deal with uh, a lot of the nuances of, okay, I've, I've got a this uh, context that wasn't what I expected here, so I ended up uh, undefined because I didn't think about, I didn't have to deal with binding when I was working in Angular, for instance. Uh, things just plain worked. So uh, there is this trade-off of uh, React in general, uh, expects you to do a little more typing on the keyboard, be a little more explicit. Uh, it contains less, uh, some would say less magic uh, or definitely less opinion. And so because of that, you find people uh, stumbling over some of these issues that were more or less abstracted away from them in, uh, for instance, in Angular. See, that's my number one point. Like when newer developers ask me, which framework to use. Um, a lot of times I will say, you know, like learn JavaScript first, but I will point to React usually because I feel like it's the closest to JavaScript. So as far as newer developers, that's what I recommend because of what you just said. Yeah, and there are some other interesting things too. I mean, so React uh, really pushes you in the direction of having a single file per component, which is, uh, again, something that I enjoy. I like thinking about a single file in isolation. But there's uh, some people feel like there's a downside to that, too, that you can end up with a, a large file that they don't like thinking in terms of having effectively their HTML and their JavaScript and their essentially their styles all commingled in one file. And now this, of course, largely comes down to are you someone who is comfortable with making that mental switch from thinking about separating concerns in terms of components rather than in terms of technologies. And this seems to be the single greatest piece of friction that I find when, when people look at React because they say, all these years I've been separating concerns. I've got to think about HTML and JavaScript as separate. And in fact, React says, well, they're, they're not actually separate concerns. Your concern is the date picker. Your concern mm -hmm. is the time uh, component or your text input. And because those happen to use two or three different technologies, that's really just an implementation detail. What you want is the ability to be able to think about this thing in isolation, maintain it in isolation, and that's what components give you. Yeah, that makes sense. One other thing that so, I, I really liked about your course was that, um, you know, and, and I can see, you know, splitting it up or not splitting it up. Um, Angular actually allows you to do either or. Um, but uh, the other thing that I liked was just that, you know, it's like, here's React. And here's like, React is a very basic thing. And then it's, okay, now you can think about the ecosystem. And so just looking at all of these different pieces that you can pull together to make things work, um, I found, because I've been learning React for, because we're doing React Roundup every week now, and I, I want to be conversant about the topic, and I found that, yeah, you know, the first course is just React.js, which is very small and approachable and clean, and then, you know, you can kind of move from there, and uh, for learning React, having everything in the same file is actually really convenient, because I can just think about the very small problem, you know, as I get to more complicated applications, I, I can definitely see trade-offs between having it all in one file and not having it all in one file. 
but for learning it, that, that particular aspect of it has been really nice because I have this narrow focus on React.js and everything just sits in one place. I wanted to talk about something in React that I feel like you brought up in the course, Corey, but doesn't always get the most attention, but is a huge pain point for... Um, now, granted, I'm not like as ingrained in the Angular ecosystem as I used to be, but, you know, from what I do know, like, Joe, you could speak to this more maybe, but like the upgrades even on Angular, not AngularJS, feel like, from what I've heard, are still very painful. And so, like you pointed out with React, they have like code mods. And um, so I kind of like two questions. Like the first question, like for Joe, is that the case that it is still pretty painful just within Angular, not Angular JS, and then like for Corey, my question is, um, like, are the code mods as wonderful as they sound? <laughs> so, if you're talking about the upgrades on the new version of Angular when yes. they release a, a, a yeah, a, like like when they go from four to five or five to yeah, six, yeah. etc. Yeah, uh, no, those ones so far as my experience has been, and everybody that I've talked to has been that that's super, super, super straightforward. Very rarely you might have a small uh, problem with this or that, but they have very few breaking changes. And so for the most part, it's uh, a tiny thing. Now, granted, I haven't myself dealt with like a half million line application, but the Angular team has, and they've dealt with a lot of clients who have, and they've said in all cases, they've never had uh, clients report or almost never report that they had any significant amount of efforts to get there. That matches with my experience as well. You know, yeah. upgrading from one but to if you're looking at pretty minor. the upgrading from AngularJS to Angular. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> I was not talking about that. That's a whole other piece. That's like yeah. one framework to another framework. <laughs> right. Yeah, I so don't I really... Guess, and I don't know that much about the React world. So is React... Is, is there an automated way to do that in Angular, though? Or is that something that only React offers right now? Uh, no, it's just React that has that co those code mods. Okay. So then I guess my question for Corey is, uh, are these as wonderful as they sound or are you going to run into problems? Well, Please so, be honest with us. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll be very honest. Uh, it is, the code mods are not a panacea because in a real application, you're not running merely React. You tend to be running all these other yeah. libraries too. And in fact, to give you an idea of how out of hand this can get, our corporate, uh, our corporate framework for working with React contains 104 NPM packages as of today. So uh, there, there's a very big reason that my team is a centralized team that effectively it's our job to corral all those NPM packages together into something that's cohesive and works because uh, every few weeks, one of those will make a breaking change that causes a rippling change through the rest of that graph. Uh, so code mods don't solve that problem. When I think about that's one of the really nice things about things like Ember, things like Angular, is having this cohesive framework means that you don't have this pain of wrangling different JavaScript libraries together. Now, things like Create React App have come, come a long way to help with this, but uh, what I'm finding is Create React App, of course, doesn't contain everything that we want. Uh, so we find ourselves, uh, many teams will fork Create React App and then add their own changes in. Uh, so that sort of uh, that reduces the pain of all of this greatly. So when I say that we have a hundred and some odd 
packages to wrangle. We let Create React App solve most of those because we just pull in their stuff, and then we have to just deal with our extras. Because if, if you ejected, for instance, uh, Create React App, which for those that don't know, that's Facebook's uh, Facebook's recommended and official starter kit for, uh, or boilerplate is the you might call it for building React apps. Um, but if you eject it, you'll find that there are dozens and dozens of packages in there. So it's not that we've uh, grossly bloated it, but we definitely have a lot more packages um, in real applications than what's just there. Now, as far as your question of code mods, for those that don't know, code mods are, are a way to run a command line app that will automatically update your code to the latest version of React. And this actually does work very, very well. And there's a good reason that it does, because you look at Facebook today, they have uh, a last count I heard 40,000 plus React components in production at Facebook. So if, if React makes a breaking change, they, uh, they have to automate it. There's no practical way to go in and update all these things by hand. So the code mods really do have to be reliable uh, and work quite well. And and in my experience, yeah, that, that's not a pain point for me. They've got that slam dunked. Uh, it's it's the maintaining all the other libraries that caused me to build a JavaScript app today that's painful. I imagine like the smaller API too for React makes that also possible to be easier. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's I can keep going with questions. <laughs> else go. Well, you, you mentioned opi- opinion. What is what's the word? Opinionatedness. I hate, I hate making up English words anyway. Um, you know, but, but Angular is fairly opinionated, right? I mean, you, you look at Angular one way or the other and it, a lot of the stuff's going to, uh, look pretty similar. And I, I'm, I keep bringing up Angular because that's where the majority of my experience with the front end frameworks come in. Um, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, say one's better than the other or anything, but, um, yeah. So given, given that experience, you know, React, it seems really kind of freeform and nebulous. You know, there are some things that people have settled on, you know, maybe MobX or Redux or, um, you know, some of these other patterns and tools out there. But it seems like it's pretty free form. And in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to figure out what you're supposed to be doing if it's opinionated. So do you find that the lack of opinionated um, approach in React is a hindrance sometimes? Or is it mostly a help because you can kind of build your stack for whatever you need? Yeah, so I think that uh, is like a lot of other conversations in technology where uh, there's a group of people that prefer to go choose very focused tools, pull them off the shelf, compose them together and build something that is lean and focused on exactly their issue. And those sorts of developers are often, you think about the uh, Unix community, you think about people that will pipe commands together. And all those commands are little single purpose, do one thing well tools, and you could pipe all those uh, tools together to do something powerful. But of course, they're not particularly friendly to uh, people just coming in because it's unclear how to compose all these things together. And that same thing happens in React. One thing that I notice is React has a a variety of great tools out there. Redux, for instance, is very, very popular. Uh, but Redux also tends to be overused. And in fact, the creator of Redux, um, uh, Dan Abramoff, um, uh, has has even spoken to this before uh, many times that people tend to reach for it immediately because they think if I'm not using it, then I'm not being enterprise grade or professional or whatever it may be. Or we learn one way to do things and then we try to use that everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a blessing and a curse again because... 
part of the when you talk about expertise and any kind of technology, uh, expertise comes from making mistakes. And the mistake that people tend to make in React is they look at the React ecosystem. They go, well, this Redux thing is really popular, so I guess I need to use it. Well, everybody's talking about uh, MobX, so maybe I should try that instead. Uh, and and so we end up pulling in uh, these things before we actually need them. And in many cases, I've found uh, they were never necessary at all, that on smaller applications, that really the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. So there's a, uh, there is a trade-off here in terms of power to make exactly what you want, but also responsibility for selecting the right tools. And that's precisely where, you know, having somebody senior on your team that at least has a little bit of scar tissue or enough understanding of these tools to to recognize when they're useful, that's really helpful in React. Uh, and in fact, so, I mean, you look at how uh, my effectively my team's job at Cox Automotive is to try to get everybody to use React uh, in a more consistent way so that we can share components because React itself just doesn't have enough opinion in there to assure that we all can interact with each other. I mean, for the very least, we have to run on the same version, uh, but there's there's other little nuances there where it's helpful to have the same thing. So uh, having someone in your company that's on the hook for mm, making these decisions and enforcing the opinions as much as they can programmatically is really useful in React because it is so flexible and so unopinionated. So you talked a little bit about, you know, taking and picking specific tools that are optimized to do a job, an exact job, right? I was just curious if you had an opinion in your experience on how often that turns out that people actually do that and end up with more optimized tools and how often this just, like you kind of said with Redux, it's they just choose whatever the default choice is and then they end up with just whatever they get and the optimization ability doesn't actually turn out to be a benefit to them. <laughs> well, so I do find it interesting. I mean, human nature is we tend to be pack animals and we see everybody doing something. And then there's this social proof that we go, OK, once I see 50 percent of people are choosing this, I probably should, too. I don't I don't want to end up being the oddball that chose the, the losing uh, piece of software or whatever that may be. So, yes, that causes people to end up reaching for something uh, perhaps for the wrong reasons. But on the same token, I do find it very interesting uh, there is a significant portion of React developers that use MobX instead of Redux or that use all sorts of alternatives to those two libraries that are out there. Uh, there continues to be a lot of innovation there and uh, a significant minority that are using these other libraries. So that benefit of being able to just say, here's a component library and you can attach all these other things to it, I think is a lot of what's fostered the innovation within the React community. Uh, because we have so much freedom to be able to add these different things. But yeah, you're, you're right. That doesn't necessarily mean that people are doing a good job selecting what would make their particular application lightest and fastest and easiest to maintain. Because that, that's a hard thing to figure out, especially up front at the beginning. And that, that's why I recommend to people, just use plain React. Start out there, and when you feel pain, then start looking at Redux or MobX uh, or all these alternatives. That makes sense. So when wouldn't you want to use React then? Well, uh, so there's a couple of things. I mean, if you have a team uh, that is new to JavaScript, React is a pretty 
an intimidating thing to pick up because what I find myself doing, and I, I'm in fact, I've just this last week, I've been meeting with a team uh, that is in that situation. And I found myself spending days going through JavaScript and going through the modern features that have come up in the last few years. And you start to realize, wow, there's a lot of surface area to cover because JavaScript's well over a decade old and we keep glomming on new features. ES6 was huge. And then ES7, ES8, you know, they march along and we continue to get good stuff. So um, there, in some ways, you know, people say React is easy, easy to learn because the API is small. Well, yeah, but you really do need to master JavaScript and you need to understand um, all these modern features in a way that you probably don't necessarily have to do if you were using uh, alternatives like Vue or uh, Angular or uh, probably Ember either. I think those, those seek to abstract some of that away from you. So they may be more attractive for people that are uh, uh, not as senior in JavaScript. Uh, but I don't know, do, Joe, do you feel like that's a fair statement? This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendo UI. Which statement specifically are you asking me is fair? You made a few. <laughs> Well, oh, yeah, I did make a few. Well, I, the statement that I'm making is I feel like uh, Angular, for instance, puts less pressure on somebody to be a master at JavaScript because Angular, to some degree, provides uh, templates that um, effectively, if you really understand Angular's take on how to write good templates and how to write their component structure, you don't have to be a master at JavaScript to be really successful in Angular. I, I think that that is definitely a fair um, statement with, again, the, the natural caveat that if you do learn um, JavaScript really well, then, uh, or if you do learn React, you're going to benefit from being forced to learn JavaScript better, right? So yeah, there's, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a, it is, yes, I guess it, I'd say that's definitely a benefit. There is some it's an abstraction layer. It's an interesting and weird abstraction layer. Those, uh, the ngifs and the ng4s, and in view, they have their own versions of those. It's interesting, those are abstraction layers that they actually have, right? They have the, those abstraction layers. And yeah, they do make some of the rough edges of JavaScript a little bit better and easier. Does that, um, what does that mean in the long run? That's a hard statement to make. It's not about, is it good now? It's, does it doesn't mean in the long run. And uh, do we do we really need to learn JavaScript a lot better? Most people would say yes. I'd probably be one of those that said yes. So if you're going to do one of those other ones, you better not ignore your JavaScript. Yeah, I mean, when I learned Rails, I didn't even realize that I was learning Ruby concepts at the same time. And then later on, I realized, oh, the way that they do, you know, for example, inheritance for models, turns out that's just class inheritance in Ruby. And, you know, and then there are all these other things that kind of come out of that. And so it's, it's interesting, you know, this, I feel the same way about uh, Angular and TypeScript, you know, where, yeah, you know, I just kind of follow the Angular way. And then eventually it's like, oh, I see what's going on here with TypeScript. I'm going to make an observation here, too. So as someone who is still, I like to say, relatively mm -hmm. new to the industry, 
uh, I think it is uh, the, <laughs> I feel like it is a little bit less on which is more JavaScript and which is more like API focused. And I think it's more about if you are on a team with a lot of senior developers and that team is used to programming in a functional way, uh, they're going to like React and they're probably going to hate Angular. Uh, if you are on a team with a lot of senior developers and they uh, like doing things in a more object-oriented way, uh, they are probably going to love Angular and hate React. So, uh, and I don't mean to like call out senior developers, but I feel like the more you're in the industry, you know, the stronger your opinions become. And uh, from a business perspective, like you probably should weigh into just what the developers like to use because they're going to be more productive in a tool they like. <laughs> That's a fantastic point of, and I, you could simplify it just a little bit more and just say, if your team has a strong preference, you better have a really good reason to go against your team's preference. <laughs> but I will say Plus as one. like, you know, but, but for like juniors on your team, they're probably just happy to do anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agree with that. I mean, and, like our local dev, uh, Coding school, they're teaching React now. They're not teaching Angular. That is true. That is true. I've seen that uh, here as well. Now, I will say that when I, I have a really close friend that just graduated in like June and he went out there to go get a job and he's like, crap, I really wish they taught me Angular because all the jobs were in Angular. But uh, still, they they felt like it was just as easy to teach React as it was to teach Angular. So, And that's their job is to educate people. Yep. And I would say as an educator, I don't disagree with what their what their decision was either. I don't feel so like it, one is significantly harder to teach than another. So I'm that's gonna, where I, I think... I'm going to chime in real quick because I think Corey oh. needs to bow out and I want him to kind of just, you uh, know, make any point he needs to make mean? before he goes. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, uh, so sorry. I will say, Joe, real quick to your question. I think the other big question that anyone has to ask is, are you somebody that prefers libraries or prefers frameworks? And are you in a company that can live with the unopinionated nature of a library like React? Are you a team that can rally around it and come to your own opinions and then encapsulate those somehow? Because Create React app only takes you most of the way across the river. And then there's probably some other things you'll want to add in. Mm -hmm. So th those are some other decisions there. I'll let you guys continue to have the conversation. I'm sorry I have uh, a conflict i got to run for, but I've no doubt you'll have plenty to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So have a great day, guys. Thanks for Thanks. having me. Thanks, Corey. So this is where I kind of think view shines because it's kind of like a happy medium. So if you have people, if you have a team of senior developers who are a little of both, then maybe you go with you because it's going to have a little bit of each. <laughs> and like with you, like with UX, you know, you can kind of, it's mutable, but you still have kind of some of those like Redux concepts. Yeah. The thing I see with Vue is it's, it, it feels to me, yeah, kind of a mix of Angular JS or Angular 1. And, um, and re and react and the unopinionated stuff is definitely there. Um, it just seems like a lot of the third party stuff that you would pull in that would be a redux or a router, you know, cause uh, react has react router, which is not maintained by the, uh, react team. Um, what, what I see is that a lot of that stuff is actually provided by the view team. You just don't pull it in until you need it. And so it's kind of a, a weird, 
hybrid of the two because you can pick and choose, but you're probably picking and choosing stuff that was written by the core team. I think that's a very nice strategy to have something that's opinionated, but that has libraries. So, you know, yeah, you can pick and choose, but you can pick and choose the thing that's likely to work well and to be designed well. I like it when people call a uh, view the Angular uh, 2 that should have been. <laughs> <laughs> not that, I, not that I personally have that opinion, but I definitely so, see it that view is like this strange next evolution of AngularJS. Yeah. You kind there's, of into that, well, Chuck. There's a lot of truth to that because I feel like more often than not, I see people who are on AngularJS and they want to do something newer. And I see most of the time people going to view instead of Angular. So when they were coming out with Angular 2 and they were making the announcements about how they were separating the concerns, they were getting rid of the complexity, they were making it smaller and lighter, like in my mind's eye, I was like imagining what Vue is. And I was like, yes. And then when I actually saw the first demo of it, I was like jaw dropped. Why? And just tears streaming down my emoji face. Really? You were disappointed by Vue, huh? No, no. A Angular 2. Oh, sorry. Angular 2. Oh, my bad. Angular, no, I thought Vue was great. So when, I was, when, when the Googlers were talking about what Angular 2 was going to be, I was, it was resonating with my frustrations with Angular. They're like, we're going to decouple it. We're going to blah, blah, blah. And so in my mind, what they were describing was Vue. So when I saw Angular 2... I was like, this is not what I was imagining. This is not the future I was promised. This is, this is, this is more complicated. Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation there too, but also a conversation for another day if we're focused on React and its ecosystem. Um, but, but I've heard that sentiment expressed by more than just you, AJ. Um, so yeah, so my sentiments are a virus; they infect everyone. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So, back to React the big picture. <laughs> React the tangent maker. React the tangent maker. Yeah, like, like this is definitely not the conversation I thought we were going to have when we were talking about React the big picture. They're going to talk about what is the current big, you know, overall picture of React, not... Um, so, I want to make, like, another point and hear your guys' thoughts on this. So we talked about this on the Friend and Happy Hour podcast uh, at NG Atlanta. Do you guys see that it seems to be more startups will choose React and more like enterprise companies go towards Angular? And if so, why do you think that is? I think we're seeing a bit of that, but I'm not sure if that's because that's reality or that's just because React is super popular in the city of San Francisco and the startups there are like, there's 10, 10 startups in San Francisco for every developer. I think each developer is involved in six of their own startups and three that their buddy did. And I uh, well, So I do see that, like granted Nashville is not San Francisco, but Nashville is an interesting mix as far as the developer community here because there are a lot of enterprise companies that have like, there's a lot of companies that, uh, have been around, like HCA is a huge healthcare organization here. Now I don't know what they're using, but um, there's also like a strong .NET community here, and so I see those people um, usually on the Angular side. But there are also like a number of startups here as well, and 
Um, I have friends too that live like in Chattanooga and Knoxville and like startups there seem to go the reactor out. So it's definitely, I think Simona, um, Oh, I'm, I may, I, I may mispronounce her last name. Thank you. Um, she kind of made that point and I think there was a lot of truth to it. So there's a very interesting, um, survey done by Stack Overflow where they showed that um, most cities have a fairly even mix of React and Angular versus each other. There's Obviously, they all do uh, other things as well, but they, he was looking at at least those two are on the chart, except for San Francisco and Brooklyn, which, which were primarily React. And then there was a couple of cities which were heavily Angular. But he said, you know, I consider these to be extremely trendy cities, so this doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, React being kind of the new hotness. Uh, but they were really, really popular in San Francisco and in Brooklyn. Uh, React was. I can't believe that they are so last quarter. They're not even on view yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it comes to paying jobs, there are very few people in the U.S. yet that are on view. But I guess, like, given kind of the stuff that Corey pointed out, do you think that any of that correlates to what we see or not necessarily? I think uh, like, could, could could it be that like enterprises move slower so they're okay with something um you know like the javascript ecosystem moving a lot faster and um you know you really have to like keep up with javascript if you're going to do react and startups usually are moving a little faster whereas like enterprise companies um they might be okay with sitting even on angular js so I've worked at companies that pretty much dictated the tech stack and I've worked at companies that didn't. It was just whatever the team really wanted to use. And I, I think that's really what a lot of this is going to come down to. It's not going to be so much enterprise or whatever. I think it's going to be the, uh, the companies that want to stick with the stack they have for a while. Um, if they're already using Angular, they'll continue to use Angular. And then there are going to be other companies that just allow their development teams to do what they feel like they want or need to do. And I don't know if there's going to be a strong correlation one way or the other that um, one type of company is going to be one or the other. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting question to ask, but I don't know if the distinction of enterprise or non-enterprise, whatever that means, um, is necessarily a helpful distinction as far as who's going to be using what and why. I think it really just comes down to the companies and who they can attract and what they think the trade-offs are for them. Right. That's good. Good point. But I could be wrong. It's entirely possible that, you know, that well, is that makes we, sense. But, yeah. Our conversation seems to have stagnated without Corey. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah, if you want to try out uh, React, I, I think it's definitely uh, something worth looking at. Um, both, you know, for mobility in your career as well as just, you know, to see how other folks do it. Well, one other point you should check out anything for yeah. mobility in your career, just about. Yeah. One other point that I really want to make here, though, um, because it, it was, you know, there was the point made basically where the boot camp taught React and then all the jobs were Angular. A, a lot mm -hmm. of the concepts between the two frameworks, so components and, you know, setting up classes and, the, the way that things go together, I mean, it's not JSX, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of the rest of these concepts, I see a lot of similarities between the, the three frameworks that we've kind of been talking about people having the option to move to. And so if you're looking at any of them to learn, 
and you're just, uh, you know, tied up inside. Oh, well, what if I go and start learning React and the view just takes off? You won't be left in the dust. You know, those skills will transfer. Um, you'll have to go learn the view way of doing some things. But, you know, don't let it stop you that there are options. You know, just go pick one. If, if you have a friend that's really great at one and not the other, then, you know, that's probably a good option because you can get help. If you seem to really just, uh, you know, something about React or Vue or Angular really appeals to you, go with that one. Um, you know, as far as just starting out, you know, I don't think you can go wrong learning any one of these. And then from there, figuring out, okay, where do I want to be at? Um, or go look at the companies you want to work for and then go with what they're using. I want to make one more final point, too. So I feel like um, people usually look at TypeScript and Angular and they think, like, you know, this is the match made in heaven and they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand really well. And if you are using React, you're going to, like, you have to, you can't use TypeScript. You have to use uh, Flow or something like that. And, like, where I'm at, we're actually using React and TypeScript together. And uh, I I'm, I have loved it. So, uh, don't think because you like go with one ecosystem that you're like have to use the exact tools. I think you can like, you know, intermingle the different tools together. Gotcha. It's yeah. cool. Or good. Well said. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, right? I, I, I'm a type. I'm a TypeScript fangirl now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm a, I'm a fan of TypeScript. Have you tried ReasonML, Amy? I have not yet. Yeah, so I've tried Elm, which is thematically very close to it so big big fan of that but not as not as high up as rest <laughs> since i <laughs> want to focus more on the back end this year but cool awesome all right well i guess uh just to wrap this up i'm gonna encourage people if you are looking at um react and some of these other frameworks and trying to make one of these decisions um, Corey does have his React the Big Picture course on Pluralsight. Uh, Joe, do you know um, if they have an Angular the Big Picture? Yeah, they do. <laughs> In fact, they are do. you the author? I put, did I ask a really? I am the question? author. You did. I am the author of that. So Pluralsight has both Angular the Big Picture, Angular JS the Big Picture, which is a little dated now, um, and then now Corey's React the Big Picture. He and I put out our Big Picture courses on Angular and React roughly at the same time, about within a month of each other. So. Um, they have those. And, you know, it's also a good idea to chip in as well that if you are looking for uh, looking at various different uh, front end frameworks, then there's a Framework Summit conference that's going to be happening this October. It's going to be talking about a lot of different front end frameworks. So there's also that, that is an option. awesome idea. It looks very cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. We talked about it on Adventures in Angular. We'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Yeah, um, we can put, do a show on hear about that yeah we should we definitely should all right well let's go ahead and do some picks this episode is sponsored by codacy if you want to improve code quality prevent bugs and secure liabilities for making it into your production and at the same time speed up your code review process by 20 percent, then you need to try codacy codacy makes it easy to track code quality and code coverage and to identify and fix issues by automatically checking your commits and pull requests against all the most widely used static analysis tools Codacy helps build great teams that build great software. So join companies like Delivery Hero, PayPal, Samsung, and more and try it for free through GitHub or Bitbucket. 
If you use the code JSJabber at checkout, you will get a 10% discount. That's codacy, C-O-D-A-C-Y.com. AJ, do you have some picks for us? Well, I didn't read any new books this week, so I don't have too much to report. But uh, if anybody's interested in learning about what I am doing next now that Dampley's done for me, um, the website to check out is peoplewink.com, P-P-L-Wink, as in W-I-N-K.com. There's actually nothing up there right now, but there will be by the time this airs. Um, And yeah, that's all. Nice. Awesome. Amy, what are your picks? Uh, okay. I realize that I haven't had any health ones in a while. I'm going to have to fix that soon. But <laughs> um, I don't have any this week again. Uh, but the first one I have, so I'm very much a perfectionist. And uh, while it's good in a lot of ways, it has. it was also something that when I first got into programming and when I got my first job, I realized how how much of a perfectionist I was and how much I needed to let go of that in a lot of cases. And so um, this is a really short post, but I thought it was beneficial and like a good reminder for anybody else like this. It's just called why being a perfectionist is an obstacle and how to beat it. Uh, And it basically just talks about um, like giving yourself constraints and, uh, like giving yourself deadlines as a perfectionist and why deadlines are are really good. So, uh, that's my first pick. And then the second pick, um, this was, this is from a couple weeks ago, but it was just a thread on Hacker News. Uh, how do you understand the large code base of an open source project? And so I think, um, this is really beneficial to read through a lot of these comments, not just for open source, but especially for like newer developers. Uh, one of the biggest challenges for me at my very first job was like trying to understand this massive code base of like, you know, multiple APIs and ETLs and UI and uh, just being very overwhelmed. So um, any like all the little tidbits in here, I think are going to be super helpful for anybody in that situation. And that's it for me. Awesome. Joe, what are your picks? Um, so I've just got one pick. I've played, been, got, uh, recently started playing this game with my wife called Marital Bliss. It's a card game, and it's not like your typical card game that you might think of. It's actually a card game about being a good spouse. And so you actually make points by doing things for your spouse using this game. It's been uh, pretty interesting. We just barely started playing, and uh, it's just kind of a really cool idea of kind of gamifying being a good spouse and doing nice things for your spouse and um, taking care of them and speaking their love language, that sort of thing. Very so that's, cool. my, that's my pick. Called Marital Bliss card game. I'll have to check that out. I'm kind of an idiot sometimes that way. So, um, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. So one is it's this TV show that my wife started watching and she got me watching it <laughs> I've really been enjoying it. Um, it's a, it, well, it's not historical, but it's kind of a historical show. It's called Hunting Hitler. And um, basically the premise of the show is that in 2014, um, an, an executive order declassified a whole bunch of files that basically showed that the FBI was trying to track down Hitler after he was presumed dead. 
And so the idea is, is that, okay, could he have escaped? How would he have escaped? Um, you know, what, what are the, you know, where would he have gone? Um, you know, what evidence is there that he actually died in the bunker that, you know, they say he committed suicide in. And anyway, it's been really, really interesting to watch. Um, I know that there are some cultural and other feelings about World War II and Adolf Hitler, and I'm not condoning any, you know, any actions taken by the Nazis, but at the same time, I mean, it's really just fascinating to see, okay, you know, the kind of the what ifs and, um, who might have been involved with what with a lot of this stuff. So, um, anyway, uh, Hunting Hitler, it's done by the History Channel. And, uh, like I said, just, just fascinating. So, um, I've, I've been enjoying that. And then, um, I think it might have been last week, uh, Joe picked, the Greatest Showman, and it might have been on Adventures in Angular and it never got picked on this show, I don't remember. But um, I've been listening to the soundtrack and I just, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's a terrific show. Um, but more than that, um, my daughter and I went and saw the sing-along version uh, on Saturday. You know, and so we, we sang along with it. And that was that was a ton of fun. And so I'm going to pick the sing-along version. Where are they doing the sing-along version at? Um, we went and saw it at the Megaplex in Lehigh. Huh. But uh, I've actually I, been looking for that to go and... I, I think they're only doing it on the weekend. That's where we saw it was on um, Saturday and then on Monday because it was a federal holiday here in the U.S. But, um, yeah, it, it was it was awesome. And so, of course, I did everything I could to embarrass my daughter while singing out... Uh, at the at the movie so anyway um and i'm hoping that when they release the blu-ray that they release the blu-ray with the sing-along version on it Mm, yeah but anyway so those are my picks and i guess that's all we got so we'll wrap this up oh one quick or two quick reminders react dev summit tickets are on sale the conference is going to be at the end of march so check that out and uh i think i think Corey said he was going to be speaking and there are probably a few other people that I need to uh, poke to get them on there. But we have Kent C. Dodds and Nader Dabbit and a bunch of other folks uh, coming to speak. And we also have a new podcast, so React Roundup. By the time this releases, episode one should be out. We're releasing that on the 6th of March. And uh, so, yeah, definitely check that out. Um, the the panelists are uh, Corey, um, Nader, uh, Kent, who I already mentioned, and uh, Tara Manixic from uh, Progress, Kendo UI. So uh, definitely check that out, too. All right. Well, um, I guess that's it. We'll go ahead and wrap up, and we'll catch you all next week. Bye. Laters. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.